0: Merry Christmas, (laughs) don't you love this time of the year, amen. I do have a few announcements, Uh, we do have Christmas Eve services in a couple of days and um, they are at 530 and 7, it's a candle lighting service, bring family and friends, I hope it's part of your Christmas Eve, Christmas celebration at your home to come and worship uh, the Lord Jesus um, this Tuesday evening. We have a welcome class in just a couple of weeks, uh, January the 7th, 2014, And if you're new to our church and would like more information, it's a Tuesday night, 6.30 to about 8 o'clock. Please sign up and let us know that you'd like to be a part of that. Also, this is the last day for the current schedule of three services, and we will move to a two-service format next week. Uh, So if you are used to coming at 8.30, that's fine. You'll just have a great seat uh, because we're going to start at 9 o'clock, and the second service will be at 10.30. And uh, we would invite you to be a part of that. And I especially on this last day. I i don't know why I did this, but I counted them up. We did 41 three-service Sundays. And uh, I want to express my appreciation to uh, the people who come here every week and uh, lead worship for you and have committed to three services. I want to say thanks to Cheryl and the children's ministry that has organized three separate experiences for our kids. And uh, I just want you to know that it's been with the best of attitudes that they have Uh, labored amongst you over the last year as we've been in three services and um, if there's a a little spring in their step today you'll understand why (laughs) so as we move to two services next Sunday and carrying forward as we get ready to uh, relocate to a new facility Uh, if you're new to our church uh, we are in the process of building a building out on Shell Road you can feel free to go by and see that at any time we are in a the, the last Sunday of a five-week Advent series on the book of Isaiah. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn to Isaiah, the seventh chapter, that's where we're going to be. A, a, little girl, a little girl was uh, learning the Bible from her grandmother and was uh, kind of having daily uh, teaching from her grandmother, and uh, it was about the Christmas season, and she... Uh, Wanted to ask her grandmother a question about the birth of Jesus, and her question was this. She says, Grandmother, which virgin is the mother of Jesus? And the grandmother was kind of taken back by that and says, Well, what do you mean? Well she says, Is it the Virgin Mary or the King James Virgin? <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> that just kinda of struck me as kind of funny. So has absolutely nothing to do with what we're talking about today. But uh, the scene of Isaiah 7 is this Ahaz is the king of Judah. And you can read through the first few verses uh, there. But Ahaz is the king of Judah, and there's this constant threat coming from the north. Uh, there's an alliance that has been made against him, and that is the northern kingdom of Israel and Syria. They've kind of joined forces together, and they're going to come um, and attack him. Their leaders are Rezin and Pekah. And they're planning to attack Jerusalem. And well, Ahaz is uh, occupying uh, Jerusalem with the tribe of Judah. Oh, he's scared. In fact, it says in verse 2 that Ahaz's heart and the hearts of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake with the wind. That's pretty scared. And now you have to know that well, Ahaz is not one of those good kings. He's prideful, he's sinful. He thinks he has a better idea. In fact, in 2 Kings 16, 2, it says this. It says, Ahaz was 20 years old when he became a king and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem and he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God as his father David had done. First of all, can you imagine a 20-year-old being your king? You see, Ahaz had this idea how to fight off this coming attack. And his idea was this. Let's just make our own alliance. Let's join up with the Assyrians. Now we understand we're the people of God and we understand that the Assyrians are idol worshippers and they're pagans and he knows they're not godly people but man I need their firepower. Uh, The spiritual implications were just kind of secondary to him. Ahaz has a problem and he's thinking to himself as to what the best remedy would be. Well, let me ask you, have you ever had a problem and you think to yourself what the best remedy would be rather than looking, praying, listening, seeking? God sends the prophet Isaiah. God has compassion for his people, even has compassion for his king here. Of his people. And he says, I'm going to send my prophet Isaiah to reveal some things to Ahaz the king. I want him to know that I am on his side, I'm on his team, I can do this on his behalf. And so the prophet is given these words, and we're going to start in the fourth verse of Isaiah 7. The prophet says to King Isaiah, it says, Say to him, Take care and be calm. Have no fear. Do not be faint-hearted because of these two. He's talking about the two king, the two leaders of the, of the imposing enemy. Because of these two stubs of smoldering firebrands. On account of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Ramalia. Because Aram with Ephraim and the son of Ramalia has planned evil against you. Saying let us go up against Judah and terrorize it. And make for ourselves a breach in its walls and set up the son of Tabil as king in the midst of it. Thus says the Lord God, It shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. The Lord actually tells them what is in the hearts of his enemy, what the intentions are, what the battle strategy is all about. And then he makes the declaration, This will not stand. This will not come to pass. He's telling the the faithless king here to understand that his problems are, well, they're just not as scary as he thinks they are, because God will work on his behalf. God says that his enemies are two stubs of smoldering firebrands, and that may be a little foreign to our vernacular. It's kind of like saying they're all bark and no bite. They're a paper tiger. God is telling the king of his people, Ahaz, your problem looks big, but it's nothing that I can't take care of. And then he makes the declaration it shall not stand or come to pass. God has spoken into the situation. And sometimes God speaks into our situations. And the challenge for us sometimes is to look at the situation and look at the dynamics of the situation and in our own feelings and our own thoughts and say, am I going to buy into what I, what I believe God is saying or what his word says or the promises of his word? Am I going to take that and live that? Or am I going to do what I think is best? Now, we all know which option to take, right? <laughs> but so many times we... We live the other way. And so my first point is this. Believe what God says, not what you think. Believe what God says, not what you think. Now, I guess we could apply that in a lot of ways, couldn't we? A lot of ways. Think of how you handle your resources, your time, your money, your talents. Do you handle those things? Do you operate life according to what God says... What you know will bring blessing, what you know will bring benefit, what you know will bring upon you the work of God, or do you fear the enemy? Do you fear the attack? Do you fear and doubt and say, Well, I just, I can only do with what I can do here, and I've got to handle this situation? Do you have more fear than faith? More worry than just a calm assurance? Yeah, this is tough. Stuff. Stuff is cascading upon me. I know this is difficult, but I have this assurance that though I walk through this valley, God is walking with me. Is there more reliance on self than on what you know God has spoken, what he has said, what he's taught you in his word? God wants us to believe in him, doesn't he? God is looking around for those that will place their faith and their trust in him. The conversation goes on. Isaiah, God is saying through the prophet Isaiah to Ahaz. He says in verse 8. For the head of Aram is Damascus. And the head of Damascus is Rezin. And now with another 65 years. Ephraim will be shattered. So that it is no longer a people. Ephraim is the uh, tribe that is given the name of the northern kingdom here. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria. And the head of Samaria is the son of Ramaliad. If you will not believe, now this is the message to the king, if you will not believe, you surely shall not last, King Ahaz. And then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Make it deep as Sheol and as high as heaven. You see what the Lord is doing, right? He's saying, you don't believe. You think, you think that these enemies are bigger than I am. And the Lord is saying here, King Ahaz, what do you want? Make it big. As high as the heavens or as low as Sheol, it doesn't matter. You ask anything. I want you to know that I'm trustworthy. I'm worthy of your faith. But Ahaz says, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Sometimes leaders sometimes leaders really start to think they are the leader. They they think that they have the best ideas and the best way because why? Simply because they're the leader. And the leaders, as we look, not only in Scripture, as we look at great, great leaders throughout history, the greatest are those that understand that they are not the final authority. This is especially important when serving as leaders in the house of the Lord God. Leaders in the church, leaders of God's people, have a singular responsibility of seeking the Lord's will And believing in a God that can do anything, and having the faith to believe and to lead in faith as to what God has spoken, and what God is saying, and what God is doing. In this scene, Ahaz knows that he is talking with the prophet of God, Isaiah. And so his response to this offer of God ask anything, I'll show you I'm trustworthy. He couches his lack of faith, or maybe his own desires to keep being the Lord over his own life and the Lord over the people. He couches it with this kind of spiritual talk. He wants to look pious. And he he recalls the the scripture from Deuteronomy. He says, Do not put the Lord God to your test. And so he, even though God has said point blank, he has asked me anything, he says, Well, I I I just can't do that. I will not put God to the test. He dresses up and wants to look spiritually good and pure. And so, even though the prophet is telling him, you know, you can ask God anything you desire because he wants you to know he's trustworthy, Ahaz declines. And we can't crawl into Ahaz's head to find his motivation. We don't know if he's really just too scared to to, to be able to step out and trust God and if the fear and worry is overwhelming him. Or maybe he's just so prideful that he would dare say to God, "Eh, I know what your word says. No thanks. I, I know the reality of living in your word i know if i handle my life if they handle the things that i'm given responsibility for according to your word that your word grants promises and there's all kinds of stuff in your word i understand that but god i have reality here to deal with the enemies are coming we don't have the firepower for them so even though you've spoken no thanks see, God wanted his people to believe in him, to not join with the godless Assyrians, to, to believe in him because he was getting ready to do a miracle in their life. It was another one of those crossing of the Red Seas that was going to happen. It was another one of those Joshua, uh, the walls of Jericho coming down. It was another one of these examples that God is with his people. He's, He's giving them this opportunity to see faith at work. And so, my second point is this believe what God says or suffer the consequences. Believe what he says or suffer the consequences. Does that sound harsh? I don't think it's really that harsh because God doesn't want you to suffer the consequences, does he? Absolutely not. He's doing everything he can to speak to you. He's speaking to you through the word. He's speaking to you through people. He's speaking to you through situations and circumstances coming to bear in your life. He wants you to understand what he's saying to you because he wants so much for you. But he withholds if you don't trust him, if you don't believe in him. In verse 9, God tells Ahaz that if he doesn't believe, he will not last. Guess what? (laughs) Ahaz doesn't believe God, and again, God's word came true. You can read about it, and I'm going to read the passage in Second Chronicles 28, 5. It says this, Wherefore the Lord his God delivered him into the hand of the king of Aram, and they defeated him and carried away from him a great number of captives and brought them to Damascus. And he was also delivered into the hand of the king of Israel, who inflicted him with heavy casualties. For Pekah the son of Ramah slew in Judah 120,000 in one day, all valiant men, because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. And Zikri, a mighty man of Ephraim, slew Messiah, the king's son. And Azricam the ruler of the house, and Elkanah, the second to the king. The sons of Israel carried away captive of their brethren 200,000 women, sons and daughters. And they took also a great deal of spoil from them and brought the spoil to Samaria. Did that have to happen? Well, I'll ask you again, did that have to happen? No. Do people live their lives where it doesn't have to turn out the way it's going? <laughs> it doesn't have to happen. <coughs> Doubt, fear, no thanks, I got it. And we end up in a place of great loss. Although Judah suffered this great loss because of the unbelief, the word of God was still true because within 65 years, this people of the northern kingdom, the the people called of Ephraim, and the northern kingdom were scattered and ceased to be a civilization, never to return. It was the end, 65 years later. You see that in verse 8. And it did come true. So in this prophecy of Isaiah, we have the Lord's people being threatened. The Lord sends a message that he will handle their problem, and he's even willing to prove his trustworthiness, and Ahaz refuses. Well, before I read the next two verses, what would you do if you were God? Well, that's that's a scary thought in and of itself, but... uh, What would you do if you were God at this point? The prophet gives him these words. Verse 13. Then he said, listen now, O house of David. Is it too slight a thing for you to try the patience of men that you will try the patience of my God as well? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. I give you the opportunity to have a sign. You rejected me. It's like the Lord is saying, I don't care. I'm still going to give you a sign. <laughs> I am so passionate for my people. I am so passionate for their future. Even in their rebellion and rejection, I'm going to give you this sign. And then one of the most famous of all Christmas passages, and we always read this passage is really warm and fuzzy, Right? This is really said with response to doubt and unbelief. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Even though this king isn't going to take advantage of the offer of God, God is overriding him and is is giving him. This sign, this this sign of his intervention and his provision for his people and for the whole of mankind. Yes, Ahaz Ahaz suffers from the choices that he's made, but his sin is not going to thwart the plan of God for us. So let's look at this sign. He says, a virgin will be with child and bear a son. And she will call his name Emmanuel. In the book of Isaiah, we've been looking at the messianic prophecies of the book. And this is actually the first in the entire book. And there's two powerful messages communicated to us through this prophecy. And the first is that the coming son is going to be born of a virgin. The virgin birth of the Messiah, Christ Jesus, is one of the most important theologies of Christianity. So much hangs on it, and that's why down through the centuries it's been this target of more liberal theologians who, who want to kind of make Christianity fit into the plethora of faiths out there and kind of say, well, he's not quite so exclusive, and we got to kind of strip him of all of that deity and just kind of make him just one of a many religious leaders. They have to take his centrality Of the human experience away. The more politically correct today. Want to say all religions are valid. And well Jesus. He was a great man. He was a great prophet. But really he's just. One way to believe. And if they're going to go down that track. They can't really buy into a virgin birth. It's really. Not possible. Because if that's true, then, well, then, well, then everything's true about him. There are many things about the virgin birth that are so important. I just want to give you a couple. First is that God was not born with the nature of Adam. Jesus was not born with the nature of Adam. And although both Adam and Eve sinned, the scripture says that God drove the man out of the garden. The spiritual heritage comes through the paternal line. As in Adam all die, in Christ we are all made alive. Jesus didn't inherit the sinful nature of mankind because he didn't have a sinful father. And so his virgin birth was the coming together of man and God in one person. Man through Mary, God through his heavenly father. He was fully God, pure and holy, and he was fully man, subject to the desires and temptations we all desire, we all endure. And the second thing about the virgin birth was that it was a miracle. It was a supernatural miracle. And if you think about that for a minute, you'll see that if Jesus wasn't born of a virgin, then his birth is just ordinary. His birth is natural. It's not to be divine. And that throws into consideration of whether or not his miracles are true. After all, he really wasn't God. He came about just as we did. Even his own righteousness and his worthiness to be that sinless sacrifice on the cross and pay for our sins has to be called into question. Because if he didn't have a miraculous conception and a miraculous birth, well then maybe there is no miraculous about him. And maybe he really does fit into just the natural order of things. But on the other hand, if his conception was miraculous... If the hand of God moved upon Mary and she conceived the child of God, then his divinity is real. Then everything that's written about him is true. And if everything about him is true, well, then he's the only source of life. He's the only way to eternal life in heaven. He's the only source of truth. And I want to make this very clear. You can't have it both ways. Amen. You just can't have it both ways. You, there's so much bad theology in the culture today. <laughs> People want to make Jesus in their own image and make him say what they want him to say. They want to say the Bible's a great book and true, but it's just one way of believing. You can't say that. You can't say that the Bible is true and a great book and say it's just one way because the Bible itself says. It's the only way. You can't intellectually be honest and and buy into the cultural theology of our day. The Bible itself doesn't give you that option. So if a person believes that there's just a lot of truth out there, you get to decide what you're going to believe. You get to decide what you're going to believe. We all decide what we're going to believe, and we're all right. If a person wants to buy into that philosophy of life, then... There's one thing you have to exclude. <laughs> the Bible. <laughs> because the Bible doesn't fit into that theological premise. This past week I've just heard a lot of bad biblical exegesis on the television. all this hubbub about what Phil Robertson said about homosexuals. I heard people giving all kinds of theological understandings of Jesus and the Bible without any references to Jesus or the Bible or Scripture. I heard all kinds of things ascribed to the way Jesus feels and thinks and acts that simply aren't true. And to be honest, I hear it from both sides of the debate. (laughs) Because in our modern way, we are still calling into question the miracle divine Jesus and trying to make him natural and ordinary. I've heard him characterized as a philosopher or a teacher or someone who's extraordinarily tolerant and politically correct and... Jesus would never have said what Phil said. But I want you to know something. Tolerance is not something Jesus was. Mm -mm. Did Jesus care? Did he soften his words because he was afraid you might not take the truth very well? Did he shy away? He loved you too much to do that. He loved the person he was talking to too much to mince his words or to. You know, it's so interesting to me that what got Phil Robertson so much in trouble was quoting scripture. And I'll tell you this, it's scripture that is offensive to people. Not so much Phil Robertson. But you see, if Jesus really is divine, if he's really God, then the question is different. The question is different. The question is not whether or not you're going to choose to believe in him or not. Given the absolute truth that he is God, that his birth was miraculous, it was of the virgin, then the question for you personally is whether or not you're going to believe what is true. What happens to you when you know something is true and yet you refuse to believe? Well, this can be dangerous, to be honest. If you jump out of an airplane without a parachute because you simply are going to refuse to believe in gravity, what's going to happen? You see, you can't have it both ways, can you? (laughs) If you know something is true, then the question is, are you going to believe what's true or what's false? It's not that this is true and this is true and this is true. I'll just pick the truth. No, this is true. Everything else is false. So are you going to buy into this or this? Everything about Jesus is true. Everything that is written about him is true in the word of God. And one day, that's going to become completely clear to everybody, including you and I. Everybody that's lived on this planet. Everyone's going to know that heaven is real. Everybody's going to know that hell is real. Everybody's going to know that Jesus is the creator and the sustainer and holding all things together. Everybody's going to know that. Everybody's going to know that he came from heaven to earth as that baby in a manger. And he did live a sinless life and he did die on the cross for the sin of man and he did rise from the dead providing for our complete redemption and only through him are we going to know eternal life in heaven with him. Everyone is going to come face to face with the reality of whether or not his or her life has been lived with Jesus. Everyone will come face to face with the reality of whether or not of his or her life as it relates to Jesus? What did I do with Jesus? Every person will have to answer that question. And I encourage you to uh, do point three, believe what God says because it's always been true. (laughs) It's always been true. And the other point about the prophecy is the name given to the coming child is Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God among us, God with us. Isaiah is telling the king who refuses to believe in the power of his God that one day God is going to come into this world. There will be a miraculous birth. He will endure the limitations of our existence. He will show us exactly what God is like. The prophecy is one of just immense hope. But also of warning, God is coming to earth. (laughs) And in this day and age, I will say this, God is coming again to earth. And that's great hope, but it's also a warning. (laughs) The curtain is going to close at some time, isn't it, folks? And God is speaking to us today, believe in me, believe in me, believe in me. Understand my word, read my word, know my word, and believe what I say. I can't say it enough. Believe in me. Don't do this on your own. The king finds an excuse to reject the work of God. God gives him a promise that he is coming in the child of Bethlehem. He's coming supernaturally, miraculously. Isaiah said many things about the coming Christ. Did they all come true? Exactly as he said. Proof. Proof. The word of God is true. He is worthy of our faith. If you don't believe in Christ for your salvation today, please understand the ramifications of refusing like Ahaz did if you are actually saying that you don't believe Jesus is God and you don't believe he was born of a virgin and you don't believe he is coming back and you don't believe his life was given on the cross for your salvation, if you will reject that in spite of the evidence, in spite of the truth, in spite of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the voice of God speaking to you just like Ahaz, then you have the the same dark future There are Christians who don't believe in God. Did you know that? That's what I say, huh? Are there Christians who don't believe in God? Oh, yeah. Are there Christians who are faithless? Oh, yeah. Are there Christians who don't ever step out in faith, never take a chance, never risk anything for God? Sure. Are they just like Ahaz? Oh, yes, they are. They have fears and doubts and problems. And God says, I I can be trusted. (laughs) I can be trusted. And they say, oh, God, you don't understand. You don't understand what I'm going through here. You're in that great place called heaven. Look where I am. You don't have any idea. And God is saying, trust me, trust me, trust me. It's interesting in the story of Ahaz that, you know, Ahaz is one in a line that leads to Christ. He's in the lineage of Christ. And Isaiah, I mean, Ahaz had a son, Hezekiah. Hezekiah became king when he was also 20 years old. And let me show you what Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, did. 2 Chronicles 29.5, Hezekiah says to the folks, he says, He said to them, Listen to me, O Levites, consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry the uncleanness out from the holy place. And he cleansed the house of worship. It took the people 17 days to remove the wickedness of Ahaz, his father. He restored the celebration of the Passover. He reached out to the former enemies for reconciliation and restore the nation and the people of Israel. He believed in God. And in 2 Chronicles 30, 26, do you think this turned out well for Hezekiah? Do you think believing in God and following in the path of God turns out well? The 26th verse of chapter 30 of Second Chronicles. So there was great joy in Jerusalem because there was nothing like this in Jerusalem since the days of Solomon, the son of, king, of David, king of Israel. That was nine generations, nine kings ago. <laughs> well, we have two real life examples here. So each of us, uh, am I more like Ahaz or am I more like Hezekiah? You know, one thing this says, it says that you don't have to be like your dad. <laughs> Some people grow up with a not-so-good dad. And they go on through life and go, well, I had the dad that I had, so I'm who I am. Well, this dispels that. You don't have to be like your dad. If he was like Ahaz. You see, Hebrews eleven six 6 says, without faith, it's what? Impossible to... Please, God. Faith is trusting God to do whatever he wants to do. Lord, I don't know what you're going to do with this situation, but I'm trusting you. It's yours. I'm simply going to believe you at your word and live my life from you. No more thinking I have a better idea, wanting my way so bad that I'm willing to ignore your call upon my life. No more. I want the fullness of who you are. I want to I live under your blessing. I want to trust you. I find myself saying this phrase a lot. I say, everyone has to live their life. Everyone has to live their life. And to be honest, I simply don't get some people. Are you with me? I simply don't get some people. God is calling to them. He promises his presence. He promises his blessing. And they hear the words and like Ahaz... They come up with some lame excuse why they can't do it God's way and no thanks. (laughs) And they know where they're going to end up. And they still, no thanks. Like I said, I don't get some people. Their life is a struggle, it's a mess, and it's always been a struggle, it's always been a mess, and it's gonna get a bigger mess because they just won't believe and trust him. And I, this may be selfish to say this, but I say, I sure wouldn't want to live their life. (laughs) I wouldn't want that life. The good news is today you don't have to live that life. You don't have to live that life. You can know the realization of what it means to believe and to take God at his offer. Amen. Let's pray.